Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hi ho, Mishka Shabali here. Uh, hey, what's up, gang? What up, y'all? Um, Man, this is going to be a wild one today. Holy shit. I've been th- so I've been uh I've been threatening to re- to have my mom on the podcast virtually since I started doing this and then she and I are always so busy with different projects in our lives and she's been traveling a lot um that we've been super scattered and we, we, you know, we end up hanging out for coffee or whatever or working in the yard and then never just sort of sit down and uh, and do the podcast together. But uh, a couple of days ago, I forced her to sit down with me and record a conversation. And the, the premise of the conversation is just, you know, that I was in New York and that she'd been on this sort of European vacation traveling, um, all over, uh, Turkey, um, Greece, a bunch of other European countries. Um, and we were going to talk about sort of her trip and her travels. We, we never even touched on that. I don't think we ever got into the, um, you know, where she'd been on this last trip and what she'd been up to. Um, because my mom is, I mean, she's my mom. So she's the first thing I ever learned. The first person I ever met, um, the person I know, uh, I've known her my entire life. Um, the, but you guys don't know her or you largely only know her through me. Um, so I wanted to sort of introduce her a little bit and, um, get a little bit of her backstory. And then we just, we got into that and then just kept going for whatever, an hour and a half. Um, I learned (laughs) a couple of things about my mom that I did not, uh, I really did not know. And one of the things that I learned in this conversation is that, uh, I guess in my, in my twenties, in my early thirties, when, you know, when I was in New York and when I was sort of really running amok that my mom had made peace with the idea that I might not survive my alcoholism the, you know, with the drugs and alcohol that I was using and, and with my, um, sort of aggressive nihilism and man, that fucking chilled me to the bone. Um, I knew that I put her through a lot of shit and, but I I guess in the same way that she didn't have an accurate picture of how low I was, I didn't have an accurate picture of what what it was like for her, you know, or, or sort of the ways in which she had to prepare herself to let go of me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's still really, really weird and really sad and really heartbreaking for me to think about um, that I did that to her, and it scares the shit out of me. That I mean, I, I guess, I guess I did think, you know, I don't know. It's one thing to feel like you want to die and that, uh, and it's one thing for, for you to think, oh, I'm going to die. But it's another thing when other people think that about you, you know, um, it's like you can, you can look at yourself in the mirror and be like, God, you look like dog shit. But if somebody else says it to you, uh, it hits differently. Um, 
So I don't know. Yeah, the we're sort of at the halfway, uh, that half the mid year point. I, I think, feel like I've been doing these for about six months now, and I was really on the fence uh, of whether to keep going with this or to wrap it up. Um, having this conversation with my mom really sort of breathed new life into this venture for me. Uh, where even if nobody listens to this. I think it's worth it for me just to catalog my conversations with her. Uh, One of the cool things about podcasting, about recording with the mics on is, you know, I mean, I've, I've known my mom my entire life. And the, I think the first story that she told was one that I'd never heard before that I, that I just didn't know. I, I, you know, we, I have, we have our sort of family folklore and culture, the, the stories that we tell all the time. And we're like, mom, okay, I know you've told the story a million times, but you have to tell the story again for my friends or whatever. Um, but she launched into this, the podcast with a new, um, with a new story, you know, one that I'd never heard and, uh, and sort of just, you know, went from there. Blew my mind anyway. I hope that, uh, I hope it does the same for you guys. Um, I want to deal with a little sort of show business. Um, the show business folks, um, we, my mom and I also recorded a Patreon only bonus episode where we answered, uh, some of the questions that people sent us, uh, that will be up only at, uh, patreon.com slash Mishka Shibali. Uh, please sign up, please support it's, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. Um, just the cost of a cup of coffee. No, you can't even get a cup of coffee for a buck. Um, but that'll give you access to the bonus episodes. My mom and I are going to start doing one episode a month. Uh, this first one is going to be free for everybody. All the rest of them are going to be, be uh, behind the Patreon paywall. And uh, there'll be more sort of long, yammering, free-range conversations like this. And also, um, we're going to we're gonna give advice to listeners. The, um we did get some great questions and I only had, you know, the opportunity to get to a couple of them, but, uh, I think we're going to be doing, you know, monthly conversations with my mom because she is, she has no shortage of wisdom to drop. And we definitely, we got each other laughing and crying, uh, not just, uh, not just once, but several times. Um, I have shows again coming up. I'll be playing at, uh, I'll be playing on July 30th at the Union in Athens, Ohio, uh, with the D-Rays and my old friends uh, Driftmouth and a bunch of other uh, sort of uh, uh, local legends. Um, Really looking forward to that. I will be in Athens, Ohio, close to Columbus, from July 28th to August 9th. Um, If you want to bug me and get a lemonade or cold brew or go swimming or fishing or something dumb. Um, and then I will be appearing at, uh, altercation punk comedy festival in Austin, Texas, uh, last weekend in October. Uh, I I think October 29th is Saturday. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly which day I'll be performing, uh, but I will be performing there finishing a record this summer. So yeah, I will, I'm going to get back to it. I've fucked around long enough. I will be booking more shows and doing more stuff locally here in Arizona and out in the real world. Also going to start booking shows at my house again for the fall. 
Got some cool podcasts coming up. Uh, my friend Rad Pinkard, who who nobody knows, um, but he's a. We got to be friends a couple years ago. He's a local dude, great skateboarder, and then just started recording and sending me these songs that are fucking blowing my mind. Like they're so good, and I've played them for a bunch of sort of jaded, cynical old music fans, and everybody's had the same response. So. Um, We'll be playing a couple new songs by Rad, and we have an in-depth conversation about uh, the food and the poops in uh, in jail. And then uh, this Friday, I'll be recording a conversation with uh, rock and roll degenerate or uh, former rock and roll degenerate, current comedy degenerate uh, Dean Del Rey, uh, who I I really love this dude. He's um, he was uh, a singer in a band for 25 years. He's a motorcycle dude. He's a big rock fan. He's a podcaster. He's a comic. But what I love about him the most is that he's an enthusiast. He really, he's into shit. He thinks, he thinks things are cool. And, uh, and I think that's really cool. So, um, yeah, again, enjoy the podcast. If you dig it, please take a minute to, uh, to rate and review uh, five star review on uh, the Apple Podcasts thing. Uh, share it with a friend. Send it to a friend. Sign up for the Patreon. Buy a T-shirt. All that good stuff. And uh, for now, enjoy this conversation with my mom, Elaine Lalonde. Talk to me for a second. Uh, tell me. Just so I can see what your level is like. Tell me what you're wearing. Tell me what I'm wearing. Well, you're wearing your standard silk pajamas. And um, can't tell whether it's a Hey Dude America shirt. <laughs> the... But I'm wearing a much classier uh, red t-shirt with black leggings and matching shoes. <laughs> you are so close and so wrong that I'm not wearing silk pajamas. That makes me sound like some weird, like Hugh Hefner type creep. I'm wearing my like my puppy pants. That, Your polyester are, puppy pants. Yeah, these are these are just standard cotton pajamas. And then this is a uh, Hang Trump uh, t-shirt that my friend Justin uh, oh. sent to me. Oh, the, I, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, which I got to be careful where it, it's like, don't, I can wear it kicking around the house, but just don't wear it to the fucking hardware store or whatever. Right. The, um, so I was the, have you listened to any of these podcasts? I listened to the first one, I believe. And since then I've been too busy. I, yeah, that's what everybody says, mom. The, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> like, you can't fucking use the same excuse. Every single one of my friends, you like, oh, I'm living my life, man. It's like, no, I'm making these. I'm sitting here like living your life. The, I'm sitting here. God, Elsie with the fucking twist tie. <laughs> um, it's it's funny because I, you know, I did start doing this just and I told myself I was just doing this for myself, just for um, just for kicks, just for, you know, cause it's good for me to sort of like connect with people. And then um, and then, of course, once you start doing a thing, then you're, you're like, oh, what's my what's my performance? How am I, you know, the let me let me compare it to what everybody else is doing and compare it to the other shit that I'm doing. Um, so you are my, uh, you're my ringer. You're my secret weapon. You're the, you're the <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fill in the gap. 
No, you're the you're the headline talent. You're the you're the one I'm going to bring in, and then everybody's going to be like, "Oh man, did you hear that podcast with Mishka and his mom? It was fucking awesome." <laughs> so uh, so no pressure, but uh, yeah, the whole thing's riding on you, mom. Oh okay, <laughs> glad you caught me while I was still around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, but I was thinking when I was uh, when I was showering that. I wanted to talk about like your big trip around Europe and stuff like that, but also uh, people know you very little. So I feel like I should do sort of a, you know, just the, the basics, um, the, of who you are, what your life is like, where you live, where you're, you know, where you're from, all that stuff. Cause I think that's really important. People, people know you and love you for, um, all the all the shit you say and the stories I tell about you online, but you know one of the I don't know. I, I guess tell me who. Nobody you are. knows how very conservative I am. Really? Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's. <laughs> I grew up on a farm in northern Saskatchewan. There were fewer than a hundred people in town. And we tried to prove that there were 100 people once, my sisters and I. And so um, to my now uh, first brother-in-law. And so we listed all the bachelors with a wife and any dog that had a human name. (laughs) (laughs) So not Rover, of course, but Sam Hardy would be counted. I've never heard this story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how old were you when you were doing this oh in my teens <laughs> the, so um so you were born in maqua saskatchewan correct in what was it 1902 uh, no. 1975 <laughs> the, 1947 1947 right the, i should know that because i have a guitar that i kept just because it and uh, tell me about all the other babies. Well, most of them I don't know very well. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> I, I left home before the last one was born. So um, there are 16 other babies, one ahead of me, uh, before uh, Dad went overseas during World War II. I was the post-war baby, and somehow it just kept on coming. <laughs> the... Uh there's a there's a joke about coming there, but I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make a come joke this early in the fucking podcast with my mom. Jesus Christ! The, how many years? So, can you name all your siblings on the first try? Yes, oldest to youngest. All right, Go Anita, myself, Janet, Marilyn, Olive, Irene, Eugene, Rose, the twins, Bernard and Edward. Wait, I think Rose was after the twins and Sylvia was before, but I'm not sure. Um, And then um, Roderick and Jerome, Michelle and Alyn and Norman and Albert. Holy shit. I didn't didn't realize Norman was number 16. Yep. That's that's so wild. um, And he's what? Just a little bit older than you. Yeah. Norman, I, I feel. I think Albert is. Oh, Albert's fifty, I think, and 
Norman would be. Jesus Christ, does he really? 52 no, the, or so. Albert's got to be like 52 or 53. The, I feel like Albert is 8 to 10 years older than I am. Um, but Tim Wires, my oldest cousin, or no, uh, well, Tim and Lori are both older than, I have cousins older than my youngest uncle. Right. That's because my sister didn't take her time to get married, but I did. <laughs> so we so we put an artificial gap in there. <laughs> There's only two and a half years difference between us in age, but uh, she married younger and I married older. The, uh, if you... If you hear the random percussion, it's Elsie playing with a twist tie while there's a tambourine and maracas on the floor. The the other day she was she had made it like a nest of sleeping on the brown paper on top of the maracas, and then she twitches when she dreams. So whenever <laughs> she had a dream, she would like twitch real hard, real hard, and the maracas would go off, and then she would like jump straight jump up. <laughs> You poor cat. You, you enriched her dream. The, so, so you were growing up in post-war Saskatchewan. Correct. Very rural. Very small town. Very poor. Uh, grandpa was small-time a, farmer, like sort of subsistence farmer, and also kind of like a hustler or an entrepreneur or he was always a hustler but he had to supplement his income by selling farm insurance crop insurance which he would do on sunday because as a good catholic he didn't till the soil and work hard labor on sunday so he would go to church he would have a nap and then he would um, take care of his insurance business and that was you know to help pay the bills pay the food but we didn't grow I assume that he worked like Eugene the other days of the week of just from sunup to sundown. Absolutely. I can't imagine living like that. Yeah. The, the summer that I stayed with Eugene, I was just like, the man, is there nothing else? Like, it, it was like he was a stranger in his own home because yep. he would just be, he would be gone when I woke up and then he would still be out working. Like when well, I, especially in the summertime because it stays light till 10 o'clock at night. So, yeah, yeah that's actually true. I was the first of the family to go to university. Um, Dad really put an emphasis on education. He wanted all of us to have at least high school education and further education if possible. Um, and he he um, he worked hard for that to happen. Um, it's it's interesting to hear that because I feel like I feel like in the U.S. and but then also like in our family, there's definitely a vibe of like. You know, just because you went to college doesn't mean you're better than I am. So it's c- real curious for me to hear that Grandpa valued education like that. Well, that's a new twist. That new just because you went to university doesn't mean you're better than I. Okay. And that's particularly recent. I noticed it within the last 10 years. And I, I hate to say this, but it became much stronger during the Trump years Yeah. in power. Because he was appealing to a base that was not educated. And there's a big difference between education in Canada and in the U.S. Yeah. The Trump was definitely a big leap backward. Yeah. Um, Before we get to you going to college and developing your passion for travel and stuff like that, I've made you tell these stories a million times where people (laughs) need to hear these about like... I feel like it's just in the last couple of years that I that you told me about living in the lean-to. Mm-hmm. This was in Macqua. In Macqua. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there was a lean-to on the side of the house? That was- right. When mom and dad left the log farmhouse to move closer to town because of us kids going to school, uh, they bought an existing house uh, and added to it, they uh, added a big living room. Uh, the old kitchen uh, was still referred to as the old kitchen, but it became the milk room. So the big uh, separator, milk separator, and the butter churn, and the jars uh, for canning, etc. Today we would maybe call it a mud room. Yeah, you yeah. put your boots, uh, when you came back from the barn, you took off the clothes that you wore, an old pair of overalls an old jacket and a pair of boots and you'd left them in that mudroom. Uh-huh. And then what used to be the living room of that house was now the kitchen and dining room. So it was, And then all along the backside, 40 feet long, was a lean-to that became a bedroom separated by a curtain with the boys at one end and the girls at the other end. The So was there like... 10, 12, 15 of you in there at, by the at time various you left? times, yeah. The, yeah. That's so wild. The, yeah. And then, was it insulated or was it? Well, the- it was insulated, but it wasn't heated. And so, <laughs> Dad was very creative. He uh, heated the living room, or heated the house, in fact, with a big barrel heater, not uh-huh. cut in half, the whole thing on its side, on legs. Uh-huh. And uh, so he cut a hole in the wall. So that the heat could enter the lean-to, but it was still cold. So what we would do at night... It sounds like something I would do. (laughs) (laughs) Here, let me fix that, right? Let me just cut a fucking (laughs) hole in the wall, and and you'll be fine. Yep, exactly. Your kids will be fine. We'll deal with it, right? This will work. (laughs) So what we would do is we'd take our clothes that we were going to wear to school the next day and put them inside the covers in the bed uh-huh. so that when we got up in the morning we'd grab our clothes and we'd so they would like be heated by like with body, body warmth yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and we'd gather around the stove to continue getting dressed i i remember that i mean from living in canada and also living in new hampshire of like getting up in the morning and like my jeans would be cold yes when I was putting them and on. stiff and now and that was that's not like the Saskatchewan cold that you were dealing with, you know, living in a fucking lean-to. But the it's one of those things that I always like try and remember on days like today when it's 115 and you can't go outside and the, just the, like... We're living our winter now. It, yeah, is that... <laughs> well, also, like, I don't get cold here and I would rather be so fucking hot all the time than just deal with the cold that we did in, like you know, in Canada and New Hampshire and what the cold that I got, the cold that I hate, the cold that I'm, you know, and, and New York, the cold that I'm fleeing being here is nothing compared to like what you guys have. Right. And in actual fact, there are some days like today when it's going to be 115 degrees that I would rather be cold because I can't take off enough clothes now <laughs> to be comfortable. But when it's really cold, you can put on enough clothes yeah. to be comfortable. Yeah. So this is definitely the time of year where, like, you don't drop in on your friends, you know, because no. like, everybody's just <laughs> naked in their houses, like an uh, uh, ice pack on your ice head <laughs> or something like that. The, um, Frozen peas on their neck. Yeah. The, I'll tell you what, though. It is, I think this summer's definitely going to be better than last summer, like having replaced the AC unit on my yeah, house. Yeah, I think you're lucky. Yeah. And stuff and, like, your place isn't bad. Yeah. The, but the We're minute more you walk outside, it's just like, 
like walking it like opening an oven door it really is i mean it's an old expression but there's no better way to describe that blast of heat when yeah. you walk out of your house at seven o'clock in the morning yeah the when i when i lived in new york the we always used to go to the russian turkish baths and they would have like the the Russian room that was just sort of, I think it was like 200 degrees or something, it was oppressively hot. And like the minute you walked in, you were just like, oh my God. And uh, I would go with my friend Ben and we, we took such delight of just walking in and being like, man, it's like a sauna in here. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> well, that's how these expressions stick around. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, I, I, I'm in the middle of the fucking metaphor. This is, this is exactly what it's like. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and and I, you told me about getting frostbite on the tip of your nose. Absolutely. Uh, and do you know what frostbite looks like when it heals? It's a brown scab. <laughs> I. This is one of the, people these days. Kids these days, mom. Yeah. People talk about like, oh, I got frostbite, and it's like, no, you fucking got cold. Right. You got cold. Oh, or, or like the tips of your cheeks, you started, you started to tingle. lose feeling, or, or, yeah. or ting- getting, you know, tingled. Um, and and that sucks, and I hate that. My, you know, when we were cross country skiing, my, I used to be able to like not feel my toes for a long time. I have never gotten frostbite because frostbite is literally when the flesh freezes yep. and dies yeah the, yeah i i could really relate to beck weathers when he uh froze his nose and fingertips uh coming down from everest in 1996 on in that disaster incredibly painful yeah it, like embarrassing for you as a kid too well it was embarrassing but before it turns brown it it feels like a burn yeah. It gets hot, gets red, yeah. and and this is over a period of days. So you go to school with a big brown scab on the end of your nose. Yeah, well, everything was embarrassing in those days. <laughs> yeah, the and sometimes I just think about like just a, what a normal day was like for me as a kid. I'm like, no wonder I became an alcoholic. Like, <laughs> fucking life is hell when you're a kid and everything's. Everything's scary or, you know, you're super sensitive to everything and the, um, you know, and it matters what people think about you that day and yep. just, yep. you feel everything at like a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, what I, I, I gotta just dwell on the cold for a minute here. So how did you guys dress? Like, cause you had to walk to school every day. We did uh, until it hit a certain temperature, and I can't recall what that was. Dad had an agreement with the local bus school bus driver, who was our nearest neighbor of oh, half a mile or three quarters of a mile away. So he would, Mr. Warner, he would drop the uh, school bus kids off at school, come home, collect his children, drive over to our house and pick us up um, as an extra run. Uh-huh. But up until then, yes, we walked to school. So this is, there's a whole shift in how clothing was designed from those days. We had stockings that were held up by garter belts. So not like tights that went all the way up and covered your bum. But, you know, right. this was uh, stockings, wool stockings. And then you put on a pair of um, wool pants. Often they were men's wool pants because men wore dress pants that were woolen in the in the winter time. I, I remember 
being up at the Saskatchewan one summer and Anita had like a big, like a cardboard can of clothes and she had a bunch of like, you know, like an old woolen pair of pants and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take these and wear them. And I put them on and they were so hot. Instantly. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. It, it's, it's wool. Yeah. It, it's wool and it's thick wool. And then we would have wool socks that we'd pull on uh, over our boots uh, sometimes. Sometimes it was over our shoes within a, in an extra pair of uh, bigger boots. Did you do the plastic bags? That was in the wind, not so much in the winter, but more in the spring when was, it was rainy. So putting but, like socks on and then plastic, plastic bags, bags and, and a rubber uh, ceiling ring around the, you know what that is? <laughs> when you can preserves, you have a rubber ring. Oh my God, the rubber to, ring from the preserves around the plastic bag. Right, because we didn't have elastic. To prevent yeah. the, like, the, the snow getting in or the slush getting in. Yeah. Just remember, we didn't have uh, rubber bands. Uh, today, anybody can give you a rubber band. They'll go to their junk drawer or whatever. That's from buying produce at the store or from buying items that you bag that way. But we lived on a farm, so we used the sealer rings. <laughs> I can't believe I'm learning all this stuff for the first time like right now. It's funny because the with all the supply chain issues from the last two years of covid pandemic lockdown you know shit and it's gonna get worse the um like i went to go and buy underwear the other day um because i'm 45 years old and i replace my underwear once every five years or whatever (laughs) (laughs) when they become just mesh um the and they didn't have my size. They didn't have large, which is that's not an exotic size for men's underwear. And then I like tried to find them somewhere else, and they didn't have and they didn't they just weren't available. Mm-hmm. And the so we, I don't know. We have this culture now of like just so much abundance. Yep. And um, you know, when I was sitting up the pool today, I was like, well, if I can't find the parts for the pump, I'll just buy a new one. I'll just Amazon it. It'll be here tomorrow. You know, if it's going to cost me whatever, 30 bucks, it's worth paying 30 bucks to not have to fucking go through the storage unit and look for it. And that's antithetical to what it was like for you growing up. Absolutely. If you lost a thing. You lost it. And you were screwed. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The. So you're a baby boomer. And it's funny because the. Boomers get a lot of shit in the in the press right now. I mean, and for good reason. You know, the our country is largely run by men your age who are doing a fucking terrible job of it. Yeah. The um, and Pelosi needs to retire. And the I mean, there's a lot of. It's funny that there's like there's you have to be. I think you have to be 35 to be president. You have to be whatever 28 or something to be elected to Congress. They have limits on how, how young, young you can be, but not how old you can yeah, be. Yeah, I, th- I find that a little bit, you know, disturbing. And, yeah, it's like yeah. everybody should. We should just retire a, a shitload of them. But the boomers get a lot of bad press. But there, I don't know. There is so much to be learned there. Well, there's two kinds of boomers. I, I'm not. I'm not your typical boomer. Yeah, n- no generation is homogenous. You know, yeah. the uh, people always get into these conversations of like, oh, I'm like, I'm I'm an elder millennial or younger Gen Z, so I'm on the cu- so I'm an outsider, so I'm on. The- You're a fucking person. Yeah, you were born yeah. a certain time. It, yeah, like, the yeah. It, it doesn't. 
It doesn't dictate who, what your personality is or what your values are. Yeah. Or... Because I was born in a large, poor, farming, isolated family uh, who learned how to make do, I'm not your typical cast it off and buy another one. Or, wow, look at me. I have three cars in the garage and I only work two blocks away, so I don't use any of them. But, hey, I have them. <laughs> I realized the other day that the only reason I need to have two vehicles is when I can't find my fucking keys. <laughs> like, or one doesn't work. <laughs> I was, well, they, they rarely all work. That was, that was one of the things that was, humi- you know, one of the many humiliations about like Lanigan's funeral was having to borrow your car because none of mine were working correctly. None of my Well, get over vehicles. it. It didn't have purple hubcaps. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what I, <laughs> I was looking for my car in the parking lot the other day and i was thought what the hell he stopped short he needed to put a, a flag on the antenna that was purple when you were coming to pick me up at the park or at the airport the other day i was like oh, i'm trying to have whoa there she is <laughs> it's like we the were only toyota that, with purple hubcaps <laughs> we were driving that big green van i never had to Remember where I parked? You yeah, know, I got real spoiled. Yeah, you know? like, yeah, exactly. Well, I used to have a, a way of knowing where I parked. I'd say, yes, I parked by that big uh, white delivery truck, and then I'd take too long in the store, and the truck could be gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd still be searching. <laughs> I there have definitely been times where I was driving your car, and I've come out to like look for my car, and I can't find it. Yeah, and then I'm wandering around for 45 minutes. Like, am I having? Am I having a stroke? Am I? Is this early onset Alzheimer's? It's like, no, I just forgot that I was driving your car and not my car. Right. <laughs> I'm looking for my car. Yeah. Uh, but that's a good example. That car is 2005. I, I swear to God, it was a getaway car. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> With the, the black flat uh, rims. The, and, yeah, the, yeah. And also, it's weird that it only has one key. One key and the side door, you can't open the front passenger. Yeah door from outside yeah there's there's things about it yeah uh i i've never been stopped so they got yeah. over it whoever. you've always gotten away yeah. <laughs> always gotten away yeah. but uh uh it's oh and the um the tinting on the and the tinting yeah, yeah exactly but yeah. um i can afford that car um it's operating fine i don't have a need for a showy vehicle i mean minus the purple hubcaps but <laughs> That was like the best $6 I've ever spent. <laughs> damn it, Lucy just about gave it away. Yeah, Because I, I, I posted it, and I, I posted the picture of just the hubcaps, and I said to everybody, I, my mom can't see this. Nobody tell her. Yeah. You know, and Lucy commented on she that. She commented something. She commented a thing, and I was like, Lucy, you're going to, you know, the... It it's registered, like, but it didn't register yeah, that it was I, yeah, my just, car. I, yeah, you I know. just deleted her comment quickly, yeah. and then yeah. uh, it's like when... We got those fucking slippers for dad and like Tashina. Okay. Don't don't, tell him. (laughs) We're going to put you on the phone. Don't with dad. Don't tell him what we got for Christmas. And as soon as she had the phone in her hands, she was like, hey, guess what we got you for Christmas? Slippers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's probably four. Yeah. Four or five. Four or five. Right. (laughs) Well, she had her moment of fame. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, um, Tell me, tell me again the story of your friend, Florence. My dearest friend, Florence. We met at a church picnic, which, of course, was one of the social highlights of the summer. 
Uh, it was sponsored by the church, and there were ball games and horseshoe pits and various um, little booths, etc. I believe that that was what was happening in the afternoon. Anyway, she had some um, candy with her. We we didn't eat candy. That was a frivolous expenditure, uh, not in the budget, that's for sure. And so she said to me, would you like a Tootsie Roll? And I very shyly accepted it. I didn't know what it was. It absolutely became one of my favorite, favorite um, candies. But more than that, I didn't know her name. She didn't know my name. She was two years older than I was at the time, but not had not started school yet because she too was from a poor family and her mother was holding her back until her brother Ben was ready to go so they could walk to school together down the country road. And so lo and behold, when I started first grade, my Tootsie Rolled friend was in my class and we were friends till the day she died. Oh my God. We weren't always in touch there were times before email and before, you know, phones were uh, something one could do without running up a big bill. Um, but I always knew where she was. I knew who she had married. I knew which children she had. Um, and then I reconnected. And uh, I suppose the sweetest thing, which is also, you know, uh, another Tootsie Roll, if you will, from her, when my mother died... Um, I made the trip up to Saskatchewan. We were all there for her funeral. And um, a couple of my classmates, uh, the Madden girls, came. And that evening, I went to my sister Anita's to stay at her house to spend a few days with her, we being closest, the first and second children. And uh, the next morning, I was sitting there having a cup of coffee, and there was a knock on the door, and Anita was in the kitchen preparing a pot or a pan or something and she said would you just get that please and I answered the door and there was my friend Florence who had driven down several hours to come and visit me and um, as we were sharing coffee and uh, old time reconnecting I said to her you wouldn't want to spend the night would you she said, oh, I, I hoped you to ask. Let me run and get my nightgown. <laughs> she had it in the car. <laughs> and this was really just an old childhood um, thing that we did. We would stay over at someone else's house, spend the night, with always with uh, permission uh, from their mother, uh, sometimes given to a, a childish handwritten note uh, asking if uh, this child could stay over. Um, <laughs> did, did you and Florence like stay up all night telling stories and laughing? Uh, yes, quite a while. <laughs> we did quite a while. Um, and those are the those are the rich parts of my childhood, of course. The, to know that um, those first friendships, in many ways, have been the ones that have truly endured. They've truly endured. It's. Uh Suspected I would cry during this podcast, but I didn't know we'd get <laughs> both of us going. Um, and the it's fun, you know, as a writer, the way your brain always works is you know, as soon as you encounter a, sto a story or information or a, a little shred of narrative, you're like, well, how do I turn this into uh, 
a story, an article, a pitch, a tweet, whatever, you know, the, um, and what's this story about? What's the moral of the story? You know, and it's really, um, it's, it's real easy to say like, oh, the moral of the story is like, you know, and it's, it's it's like a fucking Tootsie Roll commercial. You know, it's like just a you just need a pinch of sweetness to like start a friendship. You know, and and that's true, but also both of you guys put the effort in. Was a gesture of kindness. Yeah. To the, a stranger. Yeah. And the, you know, at when you were kids, but then when you know when you were married with children of your own and stuff like that, it did take work to keep in touch and to yes. keep track of each other, particularly when, you know, we moved to the States and then we were sort of bounced around. I'm, you know, I, mean, I know you lost track with a ton of people then. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but as this, you know, she was a constant. The, uh, it, you know, everybody loves to shit on the internet and the face and Facebook and, and they should, you know, the, those are two things that are brought terror and destruction to my life but the it's they're, they're also incredible tools for sort of like reconnecting like that like i don't think you know i'm pretty sure chung wouldn't have found me without right. um the internet that's and true the, yeah and in the early days of facebook that's all i was using it for was for like for trying to find him yeah yeah and even now if i write something uh on facebook that you know, something that I'm doing that's interesting. Um, I will have comments from Nepal, from Vietnam, from uh, Australia, from Thailand. These are all people that I have met along the way who've chosen to stay connected to me for some reason. That was one of the hardest parts of my trip back to New York was finding out that all my old friends that are in closer touch with you than they are with me. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was chatting with your mom the other day. Like, what the fuck, man? I haven't heard from you in like 18 months. Like, you and my mom are just chatting away. The Like, do I get a commission or the, the you know, what's the, you know. All, all all chat requests to my mother need to go through me first. You know? <laughs> Filter them uh, first. Well, Sam writes about his dog, and Christina posts great pictures of her kids that look like Aaron. <laughs> and, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. The, um, but, you know, to me, your friends always mattered to me, just as my, you know, my the girls, their friends as well, because that that's who supports you when I can't. Like, if you're yeah. living far away, when I was living in the Caribbean and you were in New York, it was your friends who could give you the immediate hug, smile, attaboy, yeah. get your act together, pull your socks up, uh, that I couldn't. So There were definitely times, too, where, like, um, it's one of the things that, you know, the... Um, a woman from my past whose name we won't say on the podcast was, you know, convinced that um, you and I were, were too close, that it was unhealthy. And I was like, 
you fucking dummy. I've spent most of my life. I left home at 15. I spent most of my life living on the other side of the country from my mom, if not on a completely different like country. You know, seeing you one week out of the year talk. I mean, talking maybe once a month or something like that. The, um, you know, I'm not controlling your life and you're not controlling mine. Like we we do our own thing. (laughs) And then the, you know, and then moved out here, uh, when I was whatever, 41 and the probably, I was probably 42 or 43 by the time, you know, we got, you moved in down the street. It's like, this is the, no, this is the salad days. This is where we hang, (laughs) you know, we went out and like did all the shit, you know, the, and now this is the part where we're allowed to fucking text every day or have Sunday dinners or whatever. And the, and I'm still going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. Cause that's what I've always done. And you're still going to do whatever the fuck you want to do. Cause that's what you've always done. And it, each of us is going to know what the other person should be doing, what they should have done. And yep. then they won't do <laughs> and it. Still keep our mouths and, shut. Yeah. And then we'll just be here anyway afterwards yeah, right. you know, when everything falls apart. You know, yeah. the, um, well, I will say that as I plan, um, you know, what I'm going to do next month or like yesterday, I called to verify your dates when you're going to be away, because I'm assuming you would like us to look after the animals. Um, and I'm putting it on the calendar so don't, so that we don't mess up. But at the same time, when there are things that I really want to do or need to do, I'm going to do them. Yeah. The well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, T and I were talking. You know, when you left for your big, you know, European trip, T and I, T was like, "I'm so worried," and I was like, "Yeah, but no, me too." You know, the and she was like, um, "I was like." You know, don't worry. This is the last one that, you know, she's grounded after this. We'll have like a little intervention and just talk to her and just be like, mom, you're, you're too old and frail. You can't. And as soon as you got back, you were like, okay, for my next one. I'm like, no, there's, there is no next one. That was it. That was your victory lap. Now you're housebound. The, now I am retired, and now I'm going to live the life that I. Right. Now the, now, the, now the fun starts. Right. The, um, talking about friends and you know the way that you've cared for my friends and about my friends the um god i was thinking about this the other day when we did that uh trip i can't remember if we were going to canada with the play-dohs or we were coming back from canada with the Mm. play-dohs and coming back and the Plato's were a family that we were super close with. And I remember I did something and Lois Plato came and yelled at me. And then I went to you because you wouldn't let other people yell at me. And you were, and I was like, mom, Lois yelled at me. And you were like, that's fine. Lois can yell at you. <laughs> if, she, if she yelled at you, it's because you did something wrong. I was like, what the fuck? The, but you know, I understand now that like, she was one of your, you know, you she was know, a good friend. She was a very close friend and our families were very close and you knew her and you knew yep. her judgment and you knew me. And it takes a village. Yeah. The, <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes even more than just a village. The, that's one of the things that I wanted to, um, to ask you about because so many people that I've talked to on the podcast um, struggle with uh mental illness or addiction or you know depression anxiety trauma it's like you know everybody's going through some shit yeah the um 
you know, I don't think you've ever struggled with addiction, but uh, what's it like to watch your kid struggle with addiction? Well, you know, I always have a need to fix things, <laughs> offer unsolicited advice. Yeah. Um, so I've had to learn that um, you can't fix somebody else. Yeah. You can um, live your best life, and be kind is always the right slogan for yourself and for others. There just is no simple answer that you you really can't fix somebody else. So I had to learn to stand by. And I think I convinced myself that death comes to all of us and to some at a younger age than others. But in the end, it comes to all of us. Yeah, you know, I, the, I was thinking about that, that in the same way that women seem to be, or the women are programmed to forget the pain of childbirth, it's like every human being comes into this world um, not believing that they will die, understanding yeah. that other people will die, yeah. but we never we're, we're never able to sort of comprehend or accept that um, that we're going to die, and then when um, you know inevitably so many people like their last words are, "I'm fucking dying, man," and the the truth is we all are. Yeah, we're all headed in that direction. Yeah, but the. Did you think I was going to die? I did. I did. Wow. When? Like when? When you were heavy into your drug and alcohol addiction, when you were in New York, when you were in Denver. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Denver was really bad. The uh... And I remember once I was still living in the Caribbean and I called you, and it, it had been two weeks since I'd talked to you, and you were like, Mom, why are you always calling me, and just, are you checking up on me? You, you know, I don't need to tell you everything, and I'm like, it's been two weeks. I was just calling to say hello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, when I was at Aaron's house in New York, I found a copy of Thanks for Letting Me Crash. And the Washington Ballet I wrote when I was 20. And that was I like love that I, song. <laughs> <laughs> the, and that's like when I started throwing up blood the first time. It was like when I was 20. And the, um, you know, and I remember driving that little 1987 Nissan Sentra that you had that I, you know, wound up with and just, um, I never, I never drove after I'd been drinking, or I did once. The, um, but I would often drive the next morning when I was like, still I have to have like one eye shut to oh be able gosh. to like see the road, and uh, just, yeah. Um, but I, I, so I found that CD, and I so I was thinking about that time, and you know, I was twenty when I wrote. Washington Ballet. I think I was like 22 when I recorded that record. When you look at my face on the cover, I look like fucking Nick Nolte after his DUI arrest. Mm -hmm. Like the yep. just beaten up and like the, you know, the, that's when I first got the like raccoon eyes that yep. I've had ever since then. Yeah. And 
the I don't know. I don't really know what to say. You know, the I I've wanted to ask you for a while. You know what it was like to you know to watch me go through that, but. I didn't realize that you'd sort of like had to make your peace with the idea that you might outlive me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a little training in that because, you know, your dad was subject to his depressive moods. And I used to think sometimes he'd sit down in the basement room, which was a finished room in Canada. It's not a cellar and smoke his pipe or his cigar or whatever. Uh, any reason to not come upstairs and sit with me, I felt. And um, I would go to bed and think, well, you know, he might be hanging from the rafters. That I just, there was nothing I could do. Yeah, it's um, it's weird because it's one of the things that I struggle with now because people reach out to me and message me all the time to say, like, you know, how... Um, how can I quit drinking or, you know, I, I'm not like you. I can't, you know, just stop. And I'm like, no, fuck you. Number one, I'm not like me either. Uh-huh. I just got to a point where suddenly yeah. I was like me yeah. and I changed, yeah. you know, and I had to the, and, um, the, so don't, um, if you're thinking about quitting drinking, but you're telling yourself that you don't have the power to do it because you're not like me, that's a fucking cop out. Mm-hmm. And, you have to be like you and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have mm-hmm. to, in, you know, imagine in your own mind that you're, you are the kind of person who, who does that, who can do that, that every person is capable of that. Well, I don't think you should refrain from trying to help in that situation because they're asking for help. Yeah. You weren't asking for help. You weren't asking me for help. That's, that's an interesting way of, you know, I, I really... So if they've reached out to somebody, they need a good, solid answer. Well, shit, Mom. I feel really bad now. Because, I mean, this is the... It's... You know, I think one of the things that's tricky about dealing with teenagers is a similar thing that's that's tricky with dealing with people who are dealing with addiction. Because they can be both... It's not that they're being drama queens or they're in serious trouble. Both can be true. Yeah. You know, and I think that um, when I was drinking, I was both um, both a drama queen and in serious trouble. And it's frustrating for me to have people reach out to me for help because um, because I never reached out to anybody for help, you know, and. So in in my mind, the way that I did it of just being like, okay, I just need to go deep inside myself and mm-hmm. just shut everybody out and just do this thing on my own. The um, I make the mistake of thinking that my way is the only way. Well, but the, you're, the answer that you gave this hypothetical dude or this nameless good dude is 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 still a good one in that um, I'm not going to provide you with an excuse. You have it within you to do this. And that's an affirmation. And that that is part of what is needed. If somebody reaches out, they need to hear that they are capable. Even yeah. if it means that they have to then reach out to somebody who's more qualified 
a therapist, a doctor, someone trained in addiction, whatever, but you're giving them the first piece of advice that's appropriate, which is, this is about you. You can do this. Yeah. One of the things I think every every person brings their own um we project you know, of course the, we're, we're we're the center of our universe uh, all the time the, most of the time when i um when i yell at somebody i'm not yelling at the person who's in front of me and i think that's the same with yeah. you know people who yell at me they're yelling at their their dad or their yeah. ex or whoever you know the um but i had this experience the I think it was 2013, 2014, my friend Adam Fisher died. Yeah. Um, I remember that day you got the news. Yeah. When uh, when I was out in California, I found out. And uh, it fucking broke my heart. And it, like I... I you know, he looked a little like squirrely the last time I'd seen him, but I, I had no idea that he was like, you know, using, um, he was using heroin and I was kind of haunted by it because at one point, you know, I'd seen him and I'd given him some of the, the Opana that I was taking, which I thought was, it was a pill. So I was like, oh, it's just a painkiller. And then at some point I was using like, morphine or oxycontin or something like that and i didn't feel anything from it and then i was like whoa if this is what my tolerance is like what's opana mm-hmm. come to find out it's basically pharmaceutical heroin and oh, that's gosh. why it was such an effective painkiller and that's why i loved it so much and then it like fucked my life up so much but the then i was thinking like oh i fucking gave mm-hmm. fisher one of those or a couple of those the uh, maybe i'm the one who like Put him, him over the top, spin yeah. out, you know yeah. the, um, or started down that path or whatever. And the last, the last time I saw him, I was, I was at the Turkey's Nest, the the bar that I used to go to all the time, even after I'd gotten sober. And the I was there and I was sober, and uh, Fisher was there and I wanted to talk to him. And then this guy Scott was there, and Scott was shit faced. And wanted to talk to me about how he was going to quit drinking. And people who are shit-faced always want to talk to you about how they're about to quit drinking. And they're not about to quit drinking. No. <laughs> they're, they <laughs> Pour want, me another they one. Just, yeah, they just want... <clears throat> they want to tell a story. They want they want, to, yeah, what they want to do is they want to talk about how they're quitting drinking. And... In that moment, I was like, man, Scott, just like, fuck off. You know, let me catch up with Fisher. I haven't seen him in months. And the that, that would happen in New York. Your mm-hmm. you know, best friend would live a couple blocks over and you wouldn't see him for years, you know. And I, I just wanted to talk to Fisher and hang out with Fisher and see how he was doing. And that was a lot. Ended up being the last time I saw him alive, you know. And then when I was back in New York, I went back to the turkey's nest. Mm-hmm. And my friend Robert was bartending. And, you know, the... Um, saw a couple other old friends while I was there and it was, you know, it was, it was nice and it was weird, you know, it was sort of yeah. like going back to a, uh, haunted house that's haunted with friendly ghosts, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, but as I was sitting there, I was like, this is the last time or this is the last place that I saw for mm-hmm. sure. 
alive. And this was also the last place that I saw Scott alive. Oh. Uh-huh. Because Scott died uh, a year ago. And the I wasn't as close with him as I was with Fisher. But... Um, But he was in trouble too. Sure. You know, and I was resentful of him for wanting my attention to Mm -hmm. talk to me about doing something that he was never going to do. People want to talk to you about writing their novel and Mm -hmm. they're not going to fucking write a book either. Mm -hmm. You know, um, everybody says they're going to quit drinking. Everybody says, oh, one day I thought I'd write a book. Yeah. Well, then do it or don't, you know, the, and, but Scott, um, Scott did need to quit drinking and yeah. eventually he did. Yeah. You know, the but he still died a year ago and, and it, it I don't know, the for a while there I tried to help everybody and it was just so exhausting. Well, that's what I was just going going to say, you know, a, a real empath has to has to put some boundaries in place. You you can't help everybody and I guess that's where I got to is that I couldn't rescue everybody. I couldn't give everybody a magic formula i couldn't carry all of their troubles i couldn't listen to all of their troubles mm-hmm. so then i came to that point of kind of kind of resignation like okay well they'll figure it out but i mean i still pick and choose and still do help some people yeah the I can't get over this thing that you were like, uh, <laughs> that, you, that you thought I was going to die and you were just going to fucking let me die. What kind of a horrible parent are you, mom? How would well. you do that to me? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> there was an ocean between us. <laughs> yeah. The, I wasn't a good swimmer. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I guess one of the things I was trying to say is that if, if a person doesn't want to quit, nothing in the world yeah. can make them quit. And if a person truly wants to quit, nothing will stop them. Nothing will hold them back. Yeah. That, you know, the, the, the human mind, the human will is fucking massive. It's amazing. It's and absolutely people, amazing. The power of your thoughts. Anything yeah. that they set yeah. their minds to. Yeah. It's just getting to the point from I don't want to quit to I want to talk about quitting to I actually want to quit to I want to live sober. And I don't know how to tip people. From, uh, from the, one I to the other, to talk yeah. about quitting. To yeah. I'm ready. To, I'll do everything and anything that I can to yeah. get sober and stay sober. Well, that those were the years when I came to the conclusion that a mother's job is to love your children no matter what, and that was the key. No matter what, you can't say like I cannot understand. Many of my friends who have a brother they don't talk to, a sister they don't talk to, um, and have kept them out of their life for years. And I say to myself, how can this be? Even a child that they don't talk to. I can't understand it because your job is simple. You have to love them no matter what. You know... Well, Mom, I'm here to tell you that I, I, I always knew that you loved me. See, you know, see. In the and end, that the, is what is makes the difference. And I, you know, I do. 
I do remember times where I wanted to die, you know, where I was like, you know, I'm ready. I'm fucking done. Yeah. I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. And the, you know, but I remember we were playing Scrabble that one night and um, the, you made me promise that I wouldn't kill myself. And I promised, and mm-hmm. it was such a weird moment mm-hmm. to for us to just talk about that, like out in the open. Mm-hmm. You know, the that is one of the things I think is that's rewarding about getting older, like reaching adulthood, and then getting like deep into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Is that we talk about anything and everything? Mm-hmm. You know, the um, I talk about sex with T and that's fucking weird, but we do because you know, she's yeah. my friend and I'm her friend and yeah. we know that we can trust each other and, yeah. and that we can talk about anything and we can talk through anything. Yeah. So, you know, when I need to talk to somebody who I know, um, I can trust and who's going to do their best to listen to me and hear me and give me good feedback, you know, the, um, but, uh, you know, there were definitely times where I was like, that that was something that maybe it was just arbitrary. Maybe it's that I really didn't want to die and I wanted for there to be an obstacle between me and that, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to, you know, to stay here. The, um, I was thinking about this. I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and I can't remember where I, where it came from, but like, the cat, you know, Elsie will go and stare at the front door sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, she wants to go outside. So I go and open the door. She walks to the threshold of the door, sticks her head out, looks around. And is like, nah. <laughs> I'm like, I fucking got up off the couch for this. Yeah. But I think that there's a great analogy there that like we are the cat. Mm-hmm. And the darkness outside is death. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes you get curious. Yeah. And you're like, well, what's it like? Yeah. You know, and we need to do that thing of like opening the door and looking um looking out the door and then being like Nope. Whoops! Not t- not today. <laughs> not tonight. Just just had to just, peek out just there. Just kidding. That, oh man, that, that's awfully hot out there. <laughs> Fuck that. Right. Oh boy. Did um. Did I tell you that I almost got committed last summer? Yes. I went um. When I went to go and get. When I went to find my therapist yeah. and like to go into therapy, they were like, you know, um, have you ever thought about hurting yourself? And I was like, bro. Every day. Yeah. You, you have no fucking idea. I run. You know, the, the career out of suicidal ideation. This is what I do. I think about death professionally. I'm good at this. Yeah. The, and, you know, so I just answered, um, you know, the questions honestly. And then um, the... And then suddenly the room, you know, filled with, you know, doctors and orderlies. And I was like, you know, well, I know I can take you two, but I know you two are going to get me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were the cat standing at the door. Yeah. The, I think the difference, 
I think the difference between then and sort of like where I was in my 20s is that in my 20, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to die. And um, now that I'm in my 40s and everything's falling apart, I want to live. I really want to live. Mm-hmm. And last summer, I couldn't live. And I was just in so much pain that I was like, whatever I have to do to escape this pain, mm-hmm. I'll do it. Even if it, you know, and it was, and it was, cause I remember the, it's sort of like in my twenties, I was the cat that was like staring at the door until somebody opened it. And in, in last summer, it was more like I was the cat on the couch and somebody opened the door and was like, go outside, mm. you know, where I was like the, I need to, I need to escape this pain so badly that if that's the only, mm-hmm. if that's the only way out of it, then mm-hmm. I guess that, you know, the, um, and I, you know, I don't want to die. I want to live, you know, that I, um, well, your I, jobs on your chores aren't done. <laughs> <laughs> I still have too much to do. I was talking about this right. with Sam that like, you know, the, your to do list is too my, long. Uh, <laughs> Once I get my job list done, I'll be like, there, the, finally, the, the last... Ah! Uh, don't, <laughs> don't take my epitaph away. And then, <laughs> oh, what's your epitaph? My job here is done? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, I'm done. <laughs> well, now, now I know. The, Lanigan had some crazy epitaph that he sent to me that, um, of like... Uh, uh, here... Um, here lies, you know, Dark Mark, uh, William Lanigan, uh, exit the night porter. Or where is the wolf, the ghost that would not die, exit the night porter? You know, the, and he was like, I don't care how much fucking money it takes. That's Carve like, that on. Yeah, we don't have that. <laughs> that's not in the budget, dude. You know, the, just, but you yeah. know, I actually think that there comes a time in our life when we should actually write uh, our obituary. The for the fun of it. I mean, I wouldn't want to miss the fun of reading my obit. There have definitely been times where I was writing where I felt like I was writing my prebituary. You know <laughs> that like this is this is my pre-posthumous record you yeah. know that like i'm working on a thing that, that will then come out after i die you know the, um but that was one of the valuable things about getting shipwrecked is because in my 20s i was very fixated with you know with death and um and dying and then i had an opportunity and then faced with it yeah i had yeah. an opportunity to die and i was like oh no hell no let me take this on yeah exactly yeah the um well, it's like when I landed in a Siberia. Oh, my God. Mom, tell that story. It's <laughs> just story. one of my travel stories. <laughs> that was such a nightmare for me. Well, it's so typical because I misread my ticket. I mean, you guys have no idea how many times I've run for an airplane or run for... <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me this. I'm still trying to get over the bombshell that you were like, yeah, kid's not going to make it. And now you're like, oh, yeah, every time I go like traveling, it's just like a fucking ocean of chaos. 
well, um, what do you know about my ticket from Istanbul? <laughs> I had to carve that one out. But anyway, I was in Thailand, and I'd been there a while, and uh, I was in Cambodia, actually. I'd, I'd gone over to Cambodia. And uh, I read my ticket, and I said, okay, great. I, I this is it. different from the time that you were in uh, Thailand when there was the coup going on. Oh, yeah, this is... <laughs> All right, keep this is going. <laughs> so I read my ticket and I thought, okay, I, I leave at midnight um, tonight, uh, just after midnight, 12 08 or whatever. And um, so I, I got hired a tuk tuk and we're going to the airport. It's quite a ways 15, 12, 15 miles per, perhaps outside of Phnom Penh. And um, it was a nice, balmy evening and the driver pulls over at a certain point there's a big brick wall and he says um one one minute madam um i go pee so he hops off the moto and has a pee along the wall and i'm thinking to myself well this must be the pissing wall i bet they all stop here it's you know quite a ways between here and the airport you know he gets back on and i i knew we had enough time so we get to the airport and it's virtually empty and i'm like okay i'm taking a big 737 to the U.S. to L.A., the, there should be other people here. There's no counter for uh, China Air, China Eastern, or whatever, open. And finally I ask, you know, where do I go for, like, security for this flight? And they were like, we don't have a flight tonight. They fly twice a week, and that was yesterday. Oh, Mom. It was like eight minutes after midnight, on a specific day, and of course, I you misread it, right? And, yeah. So, I find a tuk-tuk driver, and I go back to the hostel where I was staying, and um, there's there's somebody at the desk all night. So, when I get in, it's now 2.30 in the morning, and I said to him, I missed my flight. Um, I'll have to go back to the airport in the morning, and uh, because I couldn't even buy a ticket. So, he said, it's very late, he said. You don't need a room," he said. "You sleep in the living room. I, I'll bring you a blanket." So in like, the we scene, have a lean to, yeah, off right. The side of the yes, house. exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, anybody who grew up the way I did yeah. can adapt. And so he gave me a, a cover. He said, "I wake you six o'clock. I wake you," uh-huh. and he did. And he had coffee for me, which is not customary. They don't make you buy your coffee, but he fixed a coffee for me. And I went back to the airport. And by now, um, I was able to book another flight. Um, for that day or that night and off we went um, through Beijing and then over the top we were all sleeping Um, the lights go on the attendant they were Chinese but spoke English quite well Uh, he said um, we have um, an emergency landing um, to we have to check out uh, now uh, please put your seat belts uh, on tight. Uh, put your seat belts up. Uh, we're going down now. And that plane went down so fast, like a nosedive. Uh, I understood why he said, put your seat belts on tight. And the minute we landed, uh, he said, leave everything behind. Quick, quick, come, come. Uh, they all popped open the emergency doors and the slide rolled out. And there I was with a T-shirt, my my barefoot in sandals, and um, a little see-through, uh, loose-weave uh, airline blanket wrapped around me. I left everything, got on the slide, and there we were in 14 inches of snow. We were in Siberia. 
They this had gotten clearance from a military base. This is this is, this is also when. Well, I can't remember if it was the 747 or the Boeing 737 that all those planes were yep. crashing, that there was a fucking There had been two of them, yeah. You know, the and like hundreds of people had died in these, yep. you know, plane It crashes. turned and out... You weren't at, you, so you were actually at a military base, not even at an actual commercial airport. Correct. So it was a little military base in the middle of nowhere, um, manned by the Russians. And we couldn't leave the base because, of course, we didn't have a tourist visa. <laughs> but um, as soon as they knew that we were coming in for a landing, uh, they notified personnel uh, in the village, and they came over and made coffee, big vats of coffee and tea, brought over big brown crusty rolls, um, but boxes of chocolate bars, um, stacks that, that we could um, eat. And um, so, but before we get into the building, I'm standing out there in the snow in basically barefoot. Yeah. And uh, they, the, the attendant came out. He said, move, move, you know, in case the airplane explodes. Because they didn't know there was a red light came on that indicated there might be a fire in the hold. And it turned out it was just a malfunction of the red light. But they didn't know that, so they pushed us all on forward. We walked through this crusty snow, and uh, we were told that vehicles were coming to um, drive us over to the building. Ladies and uh, children first, all the families with children. Well, there I was, 70-whatever, two years old, and um, I'm like, I, I, I'm not going to risk freezing my feet, okay? Yeah. So I move forward to get into this vehicle and it's like a big um, suburban it's got uh, three seats and um, I crawled over the back seat and got basically in the trunk area and went to the building when we were in the building a lady came up to me afterwards and she put her arm around me and tapped my shoulder and she said I just want to tell you that I had such bad thoughts when I saw you get into that vehicle ahead of some of the children until I realized you were basically barefoot in the snow. And so she was uh, just apologizing to me for her thoughts, which she had not even communicated to me. Yeah, yeah. But she just felt so badly and and wanted to... Man, fuck the kids. We we needed you back. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, you know. And then ironically, one of the uh, Russian ladies from the village uh, had brought a little backpack of goods with her, and she had a nice clean pair of wool socks and she was inquiring, and people said, that lady over there, that gray-haired lady sitting by the register, she needs some socks. And she brought them over to me. The, uh, we were freaking out, you know, because this, this was when, you know, those planes were crashing. Uh, my friend Charlie in the UK is a, um, uh, he's an aviation nut. And the, um, and he was saying, if the the slides are dangerous. If they put the slides out, it meant it meant there was something really fucking wrong. Yeah, you know the that um, he was like, I've been in a, bun- a bunch of emergency landings. They've never put the slides out. If they put the slides out, it means they're get off the, now, you know, right? The plane's yeah. about to blow up. Yeah, the, and also the when people come off those slides, they come off real fast. Oh yeah, and I was like terrified that. You know, I, I'd watched footage of people coming off the, the slides and hitting their heads on the fucking concrete and stuff like that. It was really icy. I scraped my elbow. <clears throat> but, you know, so I'm rather chicken shit about stuff like that. So 
I got down on my butt before I hit the slide. Uh-huh. A lot of people just step on it, which is what you're supposed to do. You just step on it and go. Yeah. But I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did it as quickly as I could, but I got down on my butt and then slid off. Yeah. But I did scrape an elbow. I went probably two feet beyond the slide. Yeah. Yeah, that shit was terrifying. The, I'm really glad you're not going to travel anymore. Uh, ha, ha. Stay home. <laughs> I have a whole worry. repertoire of past experiences that helped me through the next well, one. I know, I was thinking about the it. I was like, well, there's that, that time that you broke your wrist. It, oh, and then the other time that you broke your wrist. <laughs> the, did, did you break one, one wrist in Nepal and yeah. then one in the Caribbean? In the Caribbean, I had just come home from Ar- uh, Argentina, and I... And I'd lost the awareness that it had just rained. Uh-huh. And so I'd stepped on a rock that was rather slick and went down and broke my wrist. So that was like the the very next morning. I had just showered. and I remember when that <clears throat> happened, I was like, oh, God, mom is getting frail and old. And this is the beginning of the end. And that was what? 20 oh, years uh, ago? 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, we really need to start worrying about it now. <laughs> yeah. The... Um, Oh my god! You know, obviously, we can just sort of keep going here forever. The we have an hour, which is what I try to keep the podcast to. We haven't even touched on your uh, your last trip to um, overseas. So, I mean, I guess we'll save that for the next one. The um, I'm still. I want to try to 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 work this out to hash this out to figure this out just you know even if just from my own understanding of you know nothing else the um it's so hard for me to you know one of the things that you said to me once when i think in the last 2 years since i've been losing my fucking mind um, you said to me, um, you know, know that if you killed yourself, it would ruin my life, I, that I would be sad every single day Yes, until it killed me. The, um, but... How do you balance that in your head with loving somebody like that, having unconditional love for a person, particularly the love that a a mother has for her son, you know, or a mother has for her her children is particularly powerful. You know, the, when I got the elephant tattoo, I wanted, you know, I, I wanted the eyes to look tough. So what I said was like, like a mother protecting her children. Mm-hmm. You know, because that to me was like the, um, I will die before you will get to them. You know, that, that level of like ferocity and mm-hmm. self-sacrifice. The So it's hard for me to comprehend, you know, having unconditional love for a child, but then also being at a point where, being at a point with somebody who's struggling with addiction where, where you're like... Um, I don't know if I can help, or I I know that I can't help you. I don't know if I can save you. I have to make peace with you, maybe not making it. Um, I feel like that must have been an incredibly dark time for you. Well, it it is, it was, it is, but 
I I kind of see it as the the greatest love that you can give somebody is to have faith in them to do what is right for them in their life. Because I think when you try too hard to save somebody, you actually enable them to continue the behavior. Yeah, I... I remember I was talking to a parent and she was like, I don't know what to do. My son's, you know, whatever, 24, 25. And the, we've tried everything, you know, we, we can to help him. And he's just like, he won't get well. He can't get well. He refuses to get well. And I was like, well, what have you done to help him? And she was like, we've given him a place to stay. We've given him a car. We've given him a credit card. I was like, take away the car, take away the credit card, Mm -hmm. kick him the fuck out. He's fucking 24 years old. The, he needs to fucking join the military or go to jail or get the shit kicked out of him. Why are you, yeah, why are you coddling this, yeah, you know, yeah. an, an adult, yeah. you know, the, um, but there's a fine line in there between being supportive and yeah. And that's the, and that was the thing is that I, um, uh, Norman said, you know, the, um, you know, home is the place that you can, you can always go and they can't turn you away. You know, and the that's always how I felt about my relationship with you and you know the mm-hmm. love that I had for you and the love you had for me was that the um you know there was there was nothing that I could do to poison it mm-hmm. and the but also I couldn't sell that love at a pawn shop and go to the bar with yeah with that love. Right? Yeah, couldn't yeah. spend that. To yeah, it wasn't a car or, or whatever. Whatever. You know, yeah, the, yeah. Um, and I really wanted it to just be um, an expression of of faith. Like, I know you can do this. You're 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 capable of figuring this out. It must have been hard to watch me. Well, the hardest was when you were 15 and you wanted to go to Alaska. Technically, I was 16 then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The um, but I knew if I said no, you would do it anyway, and you'd just be pissed at me. So uh, I love this school of parenting of like I don't want you to do this, but your my child has got grown too large, and I can't control you. That's right. Just going to yeah. So I'm going to say. But I did try to say, you know, you want to be, you know, use your head, keep your head about you, yeah. you know, when you're doing this. And in the end, you didn't. Yeah, that was a fucking scary trip. The, yeah, because you learned some things along the way. Yeah. We, we, that guy yeah. that picked you up and he said, did he have a knife or a gun? I, I can't remember. I don't I, try anything funny because. Yeah, we got p- picked up by these fucking white power dudes outside Chicago. Yeah. Who had, and one guy had like this huge fucked up scar, like he had been bitten by a shark or something. And he had just gotten out of prison. He'd been shanked. He had a huge Nazi eagle, like tattooed over his chest. And his, you know, his brother was the one who was driving. And hell, uh, I'd have slept in a ditch rather than getting in oh, that car. Oh, we slept in a ditch too. But I mean, we had slept in a ditch the night before. And then that was the, that was the ride <laughs> that was, that was the getting answer. us out of the, um, and, uh, and I, so I, I think Gabe was sitting in the back with the dude who had just gotten like shanked in prison, and the I was riding up front with the other guy, and there was like um, a little kid between us, you know, like three or four years old. And of course, the it's, 
kids in that situation, they always look like little fucking angels. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the worse the, the parents are, the most, yeah. more desperate the circumstances, the, you, the child always looks so angelic. And the guy opened the glove box in front of me and he was like, don't try any funny shit because I, you know, got a 357 Magnum in there loaded with six hollow point shells and two of them got your fucking names on them. I still remember what he said. Wow. And Gabe and I were just... Jeez. We were like, this is our stop right up here. You can just let us off right here. You know, we like, that, you know, dude dro- dropped us off. We were in Chicago, which is yeah. still a rough town. Though, yeah. But, you know, I think he dropped us off at the bus station. We caught a bus to yeah. Madison, Wisconsin, wherever we got out of there. But the, um, I think, I like to think, too, that it was easier to think about letting me go in my 20s than it is now because hopefully I'm a little better. (laughs) You're a bigger part of my life uh, just on the day-to-day level. Yeah. So that would be, that would leave an enormous hole, but... I'm fishing for a compliment. I have to tell you, it would have left an enormous hole no matter when and where. Yeah. You know. But I just always had so much faith in you. I really did. I never felt the same way about me. Well, darn it. <laughs> oh, mom. All right. Um, we'll wrap it up and uh, we'll have you back on another time because I feel like there's so many things that we, you know, we didn't get into. Uh, well, now the, they'll know me a little bit better. Yeah, we didn't get into the shooting, <laughs> the divorce, the, you know, living alone, the all that shit. But that we'll save that for another day. Um, all right. Mom. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too. <laughs> Thank you for doing my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> See how much I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so much you'll even do the podcast. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Folks, thank you so much for listening. I know there's uh some million podcasts out there. We appreciate you uh you spending your time with us. The um if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes, song demos, just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations, all sorts of different uh, bonus material, writing advice, uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, thank you so much for supporting.